Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. And sometimes we watch stuff. We watch movies. Weird, weird movies. <laughs> like today, when we will be covering Tales from Earthsea, the Studio Ghibli film released in 2006. Yes. This episode is a special episode. This is our first Patreon episode. Money. <laughs> Maybe we should call it the Babe Trion. I we're both big fans of the Bechtel cast, as longtime listeners know. Oh yeah. And they call it the Matreon, which I appreciate, but the Babe Trion is also pretty. I like cute. Babe Trion, yeah. I do too. So if you join our Babe Trion, it is three dollars a month to get an extra episode, and you'll get a really cool pretend food enamel pin mailed to you when you sign up. Merch. Very excited. Very excited about those pins. <laughs> so yeah, run along on to Patreon slash Dragon Babies. We've got a link on our website and our socials too. We're celebrating by making our first Patreon episode available to everyone, so you can get it taste of what it's going to be like. It's going to be a little looser, a little goofier. Grace says we can cuss. I've I've told Madeline that I will permit her to swear. Fuck! (laughs) And then I said, I really don't want to be egregious about it. I'll try to control myself. So we're going to be covering a lot of adaptations to start because we have some saved up for many episodes that we never had time for. So we thought it would be fun to start with these fuller discussions. And we're also going to be covering additional books, things that don't quite fit in a regular episode. Might do some kids books. Some children's books, picture Mm -hmm. books, um, fairy tales connected to some of the books we've covered. We're really excited. When you sign up, you're going to have one on the last unicorn film. So think about it. And now let's discuss Tales from Earthsea. Come on along. Come on along. Um, So I've been aware of this movie for a while. It was on my radar. I wasn't but- really. I didn't really know about this. This is wild. <laughs> I knew it was also controversial. And after watching it, I see why. Yeah. Um, I think the best place to start is probably some background of the film's production process. Okay. This is the first adaptation of any of Le Guin's work uh, of Earthsea I should say this is the first Earthsea adaptation okay Le Guin got a lot of requests over the years um, from different production houses creators wanting to adapt it Mm. but she said she said no to everyone Um, and she really thought that animation was just going to be like a Disney style movie. Mm. Um, So Ghibli specifically had asked in the past if they could adapt it and she turned them down. Okay. After Ghibli won that Oscar for Spirited Away, Le Guin said, okay, I see that you can create beautiful films and it's not going to be a trite Disney story. So go for it. Make the Earthsea adaptation. Unfortunately, Hayao Miyazaki was working on Howl's at the time, Howl's Moving Castle. Okay. So he couldn't, he couldn't be involved at all in the process of making Tales from Earthsea. Oh, interesting. Okay. But Studio Ghibli's head, Toshio Suzuki, wanted to go ahead and start the production process. So he decided that Hayao's son, who was advising on the movie, should okay. actually direct it. Interesting. And It was his first directing job. He is also a complicated person who didn't want to go into animation. He didn't want to just follow in his father's footsteps. He actually worked as a landscaper for many years and was reluctant to become involved with the studio. Interesting. Interesting. (laughs) So, like, we're already hearing some red flags. Wanted to be a landscaper. (laughs) 
pretty different <laughs> from a director of like a giant animated film of a beloved classic. But yes, yeah, of a cornerstone of fantasy. And reportedly, Haya was really not happy with that decision mm. and felt that and felt that Goro didn't have enough experience. Um, and according to various sources, the two of them actually didn't even talk to each other during film production. Like it kind of created a rift. Oh my God, that is not Um, good vibes. No, it's not. And Hayo has said some like pretty harsh stuff about the movie and about his son's role. There's so much drama here. There really is. It's like, it was truly controversial from start to finish. And Hayo, after seeing it, said, he said something along the lines of, now I know that my son, like, this is the work of a boy, not a man. My God. So this is the first time directorial debut. And Goro also wrote the screenplay. And like, just to start digging into the movie a bit, let's start with that screenplay because I think it is the fundamental problem. Okay, yeah, with the movie. Well, and I, the reason I said I saw a lot of influence from because Cobb's like final form and everything at the end looks like aesthetically animated. Mm-hmm. The the color mm-hmm. and the movement is so similar to the Wizard Howl's monster mm-hmm. that he becomes in. Yeah, um, when they're both like goopy, dark purple crow, like feathery mass yeah. bodies. What is yeah. so they they must have been? I guess it's probably overlapping animation teams, right? And that is a piece of animation, like a style that's also used in other Ghibli movies. Like it's in Spirited Away. Yeah, you're Um, right. I think that it's more the like very specific visual of like someone melting away as they die. Yeah. (laughs) And they use that for the, um, they use that for no face in that is true. Yeah. Yeah. And the mud spirit too. There's like a lot of visual overlap there. It, and it just reminded me, Cobb was kind of like an evil howl a little bit Mm -hmm. because it was clear that he was like going for like a beautiful aesthetic, um, Mm -hmm. that any, I don't know. It it was just very funny. The, the Cobb character was like, so just like, what? (laughs) What is happening here? I have a lot to say about Cobb, but wait. (laughs) Yeah, let's let's back up. I want to talk about the screenplay. Um, So there's something really disorienting about this movie, and it's that they decided to take plot points from various Earthsea books. It's a ransom note of a screenplay. (laughs) Just put it that way. (laughs) Exactly. It is cut and pasted. And it's not even just moving plot points around in weird ways. It's assigning them to different characters than the ones that actually play those roles and go through those journeys in the books. And like my fundamental, I think where everything went wrong from the start is that Ged is not the protagonist. Yeah. Um, Tanar is not the protagonist. It's, what's his face? I don't even remember. The protagonist is Prince Aaron. Yeah. Who is a side character in the farthest shore. And he's just like, kind of, he's not a great character in this movie. I just didn't care about him very much. The way he's characterized is really bizarre. We don't see the onset of his weird malaise that leads to him being hopeless yeah. and like having disregard for life. Um, it's supposed to be, I think, connected to the disease that is an accurate plot point from the farthest shore. The unmagicking. Makes, yeah, the unmagicking that's related to the world of the living and dead being connected, like the rift that had been opened between them by Cobb. But instead of getting the coming of age of either of Ged or of Tanar, both of which are in the first book and the second book respectively. Yeah. Um, And then, and then more in Tahanu, which also has a lot of plot points in the movie, is is really heaviest on books three and four. And like when you're looking at a series and picking like the last two major books, cutting out 
all of the growth and characterization that happens for the main characters in the first two books and then diving in with like a new prince protagonist for some reason, you just lose all of the momentum and meaning and nuance and really like... I, I, I think that they probably wanted a more like universally appealing protagonist than Ged. So it was like, let's do, and maybe appeal to boys more. I like, was just let's bummed that Ged wasn't the main character who, though. Well, and I think also they clearly wanted good battle scenes. So they felt like they needed to have the fight with Cobb be in the movie, even though that doesn't happen until book three. And then they, instead of having it build the way it should naturally with Cobb, like being in Ged's life from long ago and seeing that Cobb is the flip side of Ged. He's who Ged would have been Mm -hmm. if he had chosen his, you know, sort of malicious, um, if he had followed his malicious ambition, he could have become Cobb. And when he was young, he did some horrifying things because he felt that he could mess with the powers of dead. Yeah. And he paid dearly for that. And then spends his whole life coming to terms with that. And then there's this beautiful reckoning in the farthest shore when Ged says, I I will turn over my magic in order to save the world. Like, I will give up that piece of myself. And it's so meaningful and impactful. So they take that away. And now it's just a random prince fighting with Cobb, which means nothing. (laughs) Like, that... It it's just so superficial. Yeah, yeah, and I, like I the the demon that Aaron is fighting care. with, like, yeah, it's there's like no substance there. And in the books, like, get it, it it's just so fully fleshed out that you can mm-hmm. feel it. And the mm-hmm. movie, like, sometimes Aaron just gets like a weird look on his face, and now he's like dark Aaron, and it's like, what? Where did well, this even come from? Right, and then that's clearly. Also, a perversion of, of the, the plotline from a Wizard of Earth scene. Yeah. Ged is running away from his shadow, right? But and that then wasn't confronting his like, shadow. It, it wasn't that, done any justice in this. Well, exactly. We don't even know why it's happening. Yeah, we, we don't know. It's, no, it's, it's like it's funny when he gets that look on his face because it's just like, <laughs> what? What the fuck is happening now? Like, what? <laughs> and, and when Theru hears him be like. I don't care about life. I'm just like, okay, emo, Aaron. Like, yeah, what are you doing? yeah. I just, it was so painful to see how all of the heart of the series was robbed of these characters. It was very disconcerting. Like, it was so confusing to watch. It is. And this, I mean, Ursula did not enjoy it um yeah. that's what i did know that beforehand and then like pretty quickly i was like oh it's because it butchered her writing yes and she said it was um essentially like a nightmare seeing characters that she created in a world she created act in completely different ways doing things that she did not have them do like they're They didn't live up to the characters that she created. It was very hollow. The movie also made people white. Yeah, really whitewashed. Ged is white. Um, Yeah, 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 definitely. Like, he just comes across like he has a tan from, like, being a traveler. Yeah, that was super, that was a super intentional part of the Earthsea books for Ursula. We've talked about that in our all our mm-hmm. full-length episodes on the, the other books. Diversity. And then the other piece that was really important to her with the books was that they weren't glorifying violence mm-hmm. or centering around these big battles. And then the movie, like, clearly, they just, the folks working on it just threw all that out the window. Yeah. They yeah. wanted to go for a visual spectacle. Mm-hmm. They wanted to make it look... I... They wanted to make it look kind of blockbustery. Well, there are parts of the. I was going to say they wanted to make it look good, but like a lot of the movie also doesn't look that good um, in a way that I was kind of surprised by. I do think that visually it was also a step down from what I expect from a Ghibli movie. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if like production value wise, they put less budget into the animation or what was going on. I don't know if it, because Hayao wasn't 
directing it. Um, there was some like difference in the financial approach to the movie. I don't know. I couldn't find information about that, and that probably isn't available. Um, it gave me but- the feeling that like it, it felt older than it was because I like because I did enjoy the a lot of the scenery, but the characters felt less like they went with it. Like if you compare it to a movie like Spirited Away, it was like there yeah. was a lot of beautiful imagery, but it just felt less organic. It felt more like um, animated characters moving around on a set as opposed yeah. to like it felt a little bit more like the Black Cauldron movie. <laughs> not not that much, but it it had mo- it was like had that flavor in it instead of in a Ghibli movie, like usually you would expect all this beautiful scenery that like Mm -hmm. is married to the the characters, the people that are actually populating the scenery. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I had the same issue. I didn't feel that the character designs and animation matched the backdrops, which were beautiful. Right. Exactly. Um, And especially there were great shots like when they were coming into the city for the yes, first that time. that was my favorite shot. That was really beautiful. Yeah. But then against that, you have like a totally flat-faced, like little tiny triangle nose, line mouth Aaron. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it doesn't match. Yeah. Um, the, the characters are just very flat and plain. So there's an awkward contrast between those super detailed, gorgeous backgrounds yeah. and the characters that are living in them. And yeah. their expressions overall were less engaged and involved than you typically see with Ghibli movies. Like... I don't know. Like, think about the faces Shihiro makes and then think about what we get from Eren. Because the other characters, like, Ged and Tanar are basically just, like, chill adults who don't emote. Yeah, (laughs) they're just kind of there in the background. And that was, like... And Theru is just, like, basic little girl model, you know? Like, there's not... With a birthmark on her face or with a burn, I'm sorry. But it looks looks like one of those um, smooth, just... uh, I forget what they're called. Um, Gorbachev had one on his head. A, a port wine yes. stain. Yes. Mm-hmm. So just like a straightforward birthmark. Um, yeah, it didn't look like... That's why I said a birthmark. I know it's a burn, but it doesn't look like a it burn. Doesn't, that's not the kind of scars that burns leave. They don't just right. leave like a red mark on smooth skin. Like in the book, it's very clear that she is very clearly severely burned um, yeah. and is very scarred from that. Um, and that does things to your... like physical body that are just so much further than that and like that kind of bothered me too because I loved that through was um like very visibly uh had a deformity and yet was mm-hmm. this like it it was part of her like power and everything mm-hmm. as opposed to being mm-hmm. like a disability yeah, absolutely. Right. And I don't want to limit through as a character to like her physical capabilities or disabilities. Right. It was, it was just also, well, and she's doing like manual labor and stuff. Like she's doing things that physically, you know, we get a lot of insight into like things that are hard for her to do. Mm -hmm. And she also, and we know about her trauma in the book and why she is so afraid of men and strangers. And it also felt like, a cheap shortcut to, you know, introduce her, have her character there, some kind of connection to the slavers. I mean, we need to talk about them too. Cause like, I, I don't, I don't understand why that was happening. I was, and it um, just felt so not good to like, they, it, it uh, felt like an attempt to even brush up against the way more nuanced discussion that Le Guin has of slavery and right. of the different classes of people within Earthsea and within different societies there, most notably um, for Tanar when she's growing up right. um, as the like slave high priestess essentially. Yeah. Um yeah, it was played but, more for like but Ged also comedy? like is on slave boats at different points in the books and there it, there is real thought toward like the different circumstances that people have in Earthsea and the problems with 
the society as a whole. Um, as opposed yeah, to this just like kind of like goofy, evil, like, you know, uh, evil in a comedic way, almost slaver. The, the that lead is just slaver like, was voiced by Cheech Marin. <laughs> In the Jesus. English stuff. Okay. Yeah, like literally comedic. Literally, he did, yeah, comedy. He did a good job, I will yeah, say. Yeah, no, I didn't think he was bad, the, but the character was just all wrong. Really, really strange. Um, and then, well, where I was saying it felt like a cheap shortcut is then at the end, we do get through being dragonborn, being Tahanu, and like suddenly she's a dragon and takes everyone just, away. But like, uh, how would anyone watching understand what actually happened that's what I if they hadn't thinking read this series? And um, as someone who has read this series and recorded all these episodes on it and researched it, I was confused I was because so the plot confused. points are such a mess. This was such a fever dream. And it even to the extent that like it's clearly a Ghibli movie but it's like just not the standard you would expect of a Ghibli movie in like every way so that was another like trippy element of just like this sideways world movie yeah Yeah, it it really threw me off it was weird weird Um, experience I while we're talking about villains let's let's get into Cobb a bit because I I did I loved Cobb. He was Cobb. very like he was something to work with. And wait, did you watch the? Um, did you watch subs or dubs? Which did you do? Uh, dubs. Okay. Um, His voice so was very funny. He's voiced by Willem Dafoe. <laughs> oh my god! Did not realize. <laughs> Did not realize. Wow. Who, like, wow. I'll, okay, I'll put in a little clip here so you can hear his voice. You'll be safe here. The shadow can't follow you into the castle. You mean you saw it? I know a bit of the art magic myself. And I know where you're running from. You made a very wise decision to break free of that man. He performs the entire the entire time in this voice. that's why you can't tell it's Willem Dafoe because usually his range is so big <laughs> and I was I was listening to it in English but with subtitles on because I was like I can't hear what this man is saying and then the music <laughs> the music would just come blaring in the sound mixing issue. was not great. And that reminded me of the, oh, we have to cover the Hobbit movie. Yes, we have Ralph to Bakshi do that Hobbit. Hobbit movie. Yeah, yeah, we loved that as kids. Um, Maybe, they also had sound mixing issues. Yeah, like during Thorin's literal death scene and the music is like swelling way over the words. It's just like, wow, this is rough, but also amazing. Oh my God. Yeah, I did um, notice the sound mixing issues. Yeah, but I, so I did, I loved Willem Dafoe's performance. I thought he like elevated the movie by adding some strangeness. And I think that whoever was working on Cobb's design did a really good job. I think Cobb was pretty fun too. He has a very pointy head. Like it's so tall. super long silken (laughs) hair. Initially I was like, is he wearing some sort of hair hat? Like how is his head doing how is this head doing that and he had little triangles of like eyeliner above and below the centers of his eyes like Like a sort of harlequin vibe (laughs) yeah and then like the thinnest little mouth just like the tiniest little worm lips um and that paired with like the ongoing do what you can with like it it was just amazing (laughs) i that makes sense to me now that it was willem dafoe doing it because i did find him oddly compelling (laughs) despite yeah you're a willem dafoe stan i love willem dafoe and i i think that's part of the reason i didn't recognize him like i was saying is because usually the range in his acting is so great like he's very good Mm -hmm. at like shifts for different moods if you want to witness that you should watch the lighthouse um, it is with Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. It's one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years. It's also the like unlikely hero duo. <laughs> it, it's a weird <laughs> fucked up movie with a lot of like weird, um, sexual vibes and just like, it's, it's about the, 
falling away of what makes us human under duress. And I, I just love that movie. Um, but yeah, like, All right, enough about the light. Madeline's <laughs> <laughs> lighthouse corner. That's what happens when you bring up Willem Dafoe. I'm just like, have you seen the lighthouse? <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it also, I, it took me a while to wrap my head around the fact that it was Cobb because he is one of like the most femme male mm-hmm. anime characters I have seen. Like mm-hmm. I'm putting him up there with like Ayame from Fruits Basket. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it, which is just very funny because it's not how I imagined Cobb at all um, in the no. books. So that, that was mm-hmm. weird, but I did, mm-hmm. he, he was kind of a, a breath of life in that he just had a lot more going on than the mm-hmm. other characters. Mm-hmm. Like he was mm-hmm. more complex. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I mean, in this movie, really responsible for driving the plot. Um, but yeah. he's carrying everyone on his shoulders. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, now that you mention his femness, I realize that he is kind of in the tradition of um, the queerification of cartoon villains. You're right. Like he really yeah. fits in with the Disney pantheon. Yeah. yeah. Um, Because gay men are evil. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Said it before, we'll say it again. That's how it works. If you're gay, you're evil. Yeah. Um, Just just like queer folks in general. Yeah. Like Ursula is kind of coded that way. Yeah. Um, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. But thankfully, Ursula has become so iconic that she's really transcended. Right. And that's that's something I love when um, queer folks reclaim queer characters and make it into something like empowering and symbolic, even if it was like For probably sure. not good representation, like the intentions behind it. <laughs> and I have um, been, you know, looking at The Little Mermaid through a different lens because it was um, all the songs were written by a queer man. Yeah. Ellen Lincoln, yeah. um, and there's definitely like some more interesting perspectives there than you think when you think about that movie. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, so Cobb, Cobb, Cobb is queer. Icon. Cobb is fascinating. <laughs> Cobb, queer icon. Cobb. <laughs> um, but he too loses so much meaning compared to the Cobb of the book because yeah. it's not Cobb versus Ged mm-hmm. and Cobb and Sparrowhawk have the history. So yeah. since they want to skip Ged's youth, they had to pick a different young person. And then they also tried to put in like a father son, like fucked up dynamic that also just was jarring and weird. Yeah. Also, wait, we haven't even talked about this. The movie opens with Aram stabbing his <laughs> father to death. <laughs> I was and so then, confused. And then, the, and then we just very quickly move on from that. <laughs> so confused right away. Just like, oh my just God. Like, and now some wizards. Here what you go. What is happening? <laughs> like the kid's just like, Aaron and falls to the ground and dies. I was like, what? <laughs> and like... The way I know that Aaron is supposed to be like riddled with this not caring sickness, right. but it's a bad idea to give that to your protagonist because you have no glimpse into their inner life. <laughs> like, and, and there's nothing to compel you for like the first, the first like third of the movie. I was like, oh no, I, was I, don't, I don't even want to watch. This. Yeah, no, same. <laughs> Things did pick up for sure. Um, unfortunately, watchable. I was excited when Tanar showed up, um, but I don't know who that woman was. I can't really connect no, her she, to my Tanar. She was a nothing my character. personal hero. She literally um, existed just to be like Ged's weakness. Exactly. And also be like starry eyed and quietly in awe of Ged or yeah. in the like resigned hacky sitcom men are useless mode. Right. Like that, those were the right. only two things that she could do. She yeah. was just like a stock farm lady and like, what the fuck? That's not who she is. That was just weird to me that she was be like, she runs a farm with mm-hmm. just herself and a little girl. And suddenly she has two extra pairs of hands to help yeah. run the farm. And she's like bitching about it. No, it, she has two <laughs> extra. <laughs> that's the, because her character is crummy. That's what it makes me think right. of. I know. <laughs> yeah. And then, 
And then at the end, she's just so like bursting in. No, don't do this. Wow. There's like yeah. no reasoning. She's not tactical. Um, the the scene in Tahanu where the men who abused the Rue as a child come to the house to try to kill them is like so terrifying. It's really one of the scariest scenes to me in any of the books we have covered. Mm-hmm. Um, and every God, it, it's just like the air has been let out of everything in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Even the dragons, I have to say. So like, this was when at the start I realized, oh, there's going to be a lot more CGI in this movie than I'm used to seeing. The in dragons Ghibli were movies. so disappointing. When they first showed up, because there's a really cool opening sequence of the light and dark dragon flying through the sky. Yeah, and that, was, that was stunning. Yeah, initially I was like, yes, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Yeah. And then as you like, the dragons keep moving and you keep looking at them and you're like, oh, they just don't look very good. Doesn't look great. And again, it it brings into your mind other Studio Ghibli dragons and like how incredible like Haku looks and how he moves through the air and just seeing this and being like, oh, these look just rough. Yeah, well, and that's Spirited Away, which I believe had, I mean, that had very minimal CGI. Howls, which came out two years prior to this, had much less than this movie. Yeah. Um, I think they really leaned on it, um, which also suggests to me that there was a lower budget. Right, Um, because it takes a lot more time to hand animate. And it was so obvious for some of the moving scenes where the characters in the foreground are moving quickly for some reason. Like everything just doesn't gel. The CGI feels really glaring. There were definitely some like some of the remastered trilogy Star Wars trilogy (laughs) moments. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, thank God there wasn't an extra Jar Jar. Just like a Jar Jar in the background. <laughs> I was gonna do a charge impression, but that doesn't need that doesn't deserve a place in our podcast, and it's also racist. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. Like that's the thing. You go to do a jar jar, and then you're just like, oh right, this is kind of menstrually. Like this is yeah. no good, <laughs> and it ruined that the poor actor's career. I just yeah, yeah, and I mean, <sighs> he did a good job. Like he did what he was being asked. He did. I know. No, he He brought a lot of energy to the role. He really did. Yeah. Yeah. It's not his fault that it was just a, just a a mess. So I do want to say, um, there's one other way in which this movie disappointed me. The food also didn't look as good as it typically does. It it had echoes of that, that Ghibli, uh, yeah, yeah, like lovely food thing, but it just seemed more like. I don't know, gloppy? Well, there was a really (laughs) egregious moment when they're sitting down after, like, doing some farm work. And Tanar cuts a hunk of cheese, puts it on bread, and then cuts, like, half of a raw onion and then just puts that on top of the cheese. Inch and a half, two-inch thick wedge of raw red onion on top of cheese. Slice on cheese. And she just hands that to it. It's like that is foul. That's like what you eat to not get scurvy on a year-long sea voyage. Like that is not like nice food. I mean, and of course, we're both thinking about the havoc that would wreak on our GI systems. Oh yeah, I can't eat that. If I (laughs) ate that much raw onion, I would like maybe get my stomach. Pumped. Die. Yeah. <laughs> you might actually yeah. die. I've seen a single mushroom take this woman down. Oh my God. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Oh, and then the other thing about weird character design, um, I felt like Ged's scar was completely out of control. And I, this was also another example of ways in which a very broad stroke was applied to the character design, where yeah. it's like, oh, the rue is burned okay like 
She's going to have like a fan of the opera style little pinkness on her face. Looks good. Yeah. Send it. Yeah. Ged has a scar from a fight when he was young. Give him like a full white lightning bolt, Harry hey. Potter style, like across one entire side of his face. It was like, yeah, it was like that slash the white hand of Saruman on his face. <laughs> <laughs> it did remind me of the Urkai. Saruman. <laughs> Sparrowhawk. <laughs> Again, it's just very like... Instagrammy of like this mm-hmm. is totally not necessarily that I think that's a bad thing but it's all in aesthetic it's not a wound yeah <laughs> yeah yeah gosh I mean it's it's really sad and like I'll I'll link to Ursula's response to it I've read um, it it's a bummer it's really sad yeah, yeah I'm not I'm not gonna read any of it um the movie was very popular in Japan um, okay. and it's also controversial there. Like it's very polarizing. People really either love it or hate it, but I think it was the number four film that year that it came out in Interesting. Japan. Okay. Um, yeah. wait, I'm checking right now. It was number one, it's opening week and beat out pirates of the Caribbean dead man's chest. Whoa. Um, well. and yeah, it was the, the number four top grossing movie in Japan that year. Um, wait, <laughs> I'm looking at pictures of it. Um, and I've got scar. <laughs> no, no, just like from stills from Earthsea. Like I've had that mm-hmm. open and I started getting some of his sword and I just have what is with the breasts on that sword? It like it just looks like the torso. It's of, really nipply. Like yeah. an armored woman with like just total breast armor. Like it reminds me of that kind of armor uh, that you like put on a woman in a D&D campaign and it's just <laughs> like what For the hell sure. is this <laughs> super super nipped out like yeah it, that's all you got going so on every time they showed this like boob sword i also <laughs> just like this fucking hilarious there are breasts <laughs> on that sword <laughs> oh, yeah i mean at least they were yeah taking some creative uh, steps there <laughs> at the beginning of the movie i was so excited to see look far i literally said look far out loud but then I don't know. There wasn't enough boat content for my taste, I guess. And this um, this could have just been like a translation thing, but it bothered me so much that they kept calling his mount his horse because it's clearly like a reindeer and not a horse. Yes, I know. <laughs> it was it was really cute though. Yeah, and no, I, I liked did, it a lot. I liked Ged's um outfit i did like his outfit yeah, like yeah. It, it, he it looked a, it looked a little more traditionally japanese um yes and that was interesting uh and it looked very cozy so i, I did enjoy that that I did is enjoy true that. There, there were some visuals i definitely liked there were there were parts of the movie that i felt were beautiful yeah um yeah most certainly and, and moments that i could get into but uh there's a lot of fan i art. don't know why they picked such a tedious protagonist yeah people also say i don't have exp- any like experience with this um work but apparently goro also pulled pretty liberally for the screenplay um from another japanese anime hmm. called the journey of shuna um which is oh, i've a, never heard of that it's a picture book that hayao miyazaki wrote okay. um and that is kind of where i i feel like the larger taoist themes that are present in earth sea were boiled down to a much simpler condensed version like they get into some of the like duality of like you have to have light and dark and like living and dying mm-hmm. um and all must be in balance for the world to exist in a harmonious way as above so below yes but they really really simplified it and then whenever those yeah. like snippets of conversation would come in like when Theru and Aaron are talking they have that like conversation on a cliff um, it felt like, oh, okay, God, we have to put this in. We have to like harken back to the book's themes. It right. just felt kind of like it was shoehorned in, not woven throughout the. It entire... wasn't done with joy. Yeah, no, 
it, it was not. So Tales from Earthsea has a 43% on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. Um, could be worse. I think, and I do think the score could be a little higher. I, I don't know that I thought it was a 43% movie. Yeah, it like, was a mess. I but, know we're being hard on it, but I mean, as, like, I do still think it had merit. Like, I don't mm-hmm. regret watching it. No, definitely. I'm glad I watched it. And having seen some of Goro Miyazaki's later movies, it was interesting to see where he started because I am intrigued by the differences between his and his father's work. Um, and uh, I don't think that he is untalented. I think he just wasn't ready. And clearly this was, you know, this all happened very quickly. It's just how how disappointing to have this opportunity for, for us, like for fans of Earthsea and of Ghibli for this beautiful marriage to potentially exist and instead of a magnificent Earthsea film we have this and Le Guin is now passed away and she you know didn't get to see a better adaptation of her work yeah yeah so to end on a positive note I'd like us to say you know Ursula Le Guin just wrote to us she said I've heard about dragon babies I'm writing from beyond the grave okay I was about to be real confused I'm granting you the rights to make an adaptation. Stop of, motion animation of using clay. <laughs> Madeline was a stop motion master when we were children. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, I could upload one of your videos to our website so people can see the adventures of Libby, maybe. That would be very cute. Yeah. I, I grant you the permission to do so. Okay. Thank you. I've got the rights to yes. the adventures of Libby. Um, given. That's good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Like if you had, you know, the four, the first four books, the like primary books, and you could make one movie out of them, like which plot points would you focus on? How would you create it? What medium is it? Hmm. What would you do? I would want to do it um, in the style of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> epic i want oh we got a 12 year fantasy epic on our hands wildly long and just stupidly well produced completely ground making breaking visually for its time um because we're gonna I, make a movie so wild that the country it's filmed in will have to rewrite their labor laws for the worse of their people yep yep yeah yeah capitalism baby <laughs> um but yeah, because I think it deserves that. Honestly. And you just go like totally true to text from the start, tell the story the way it was intended. I, yeah, I would want to either, like I would want it to have the appropriate uh, gravitas, but especially in Fellowship of the Ring, there's some um, really well done uh, character building and bonding. Like you mm-hmm. really feel the relationships between these people. Um, mm-hmm. And in particular that I would just, I want to focus on the characters and their relationships mm-hmm. with each other, because I think that that is yeah. like part of what makes Ursula K. Le Guin's books so good. It's just like the real feeling of like, you can connect with these people's humanity, um, despite the fact that you're like our reality is away from them. If that makes sense. Absolutely, because her books do feel very true to life, and you can see yourself alongside those characters. So yeah, I would either go that, or I would go like very folksy, um, mm-hmm. and and kind of like just show a lot, a lot of nature and people mm-hmm. like working to survive in nature. A little bit of like a Russian film angle, perhaps, mm. because they they mm. are. Um, at least the good ones, not like the high budget, like just mm-hmm. uh, commercials like we have in America. Um, we have good ones in America, too. I just mean like not not like the, you know, blockbuster style ones. I'm talking about like yeah. the more folksy classics um, mm-hmm. where there is a really close connection with nature. And there's lots of mm-hmm. scenes just showing people mm-hmm. like working in nature, enjoying mm-hmm. nature like that. That is a road that I would want to go. That's what the Earthsea books are. Exactly. Primarily. So if I were going lower budget, that's what I would do. Cool. I would love to see both of those movies. Um I, yeah, so I've, I've toyed with, toyed with a few different ideas. I think one that I'm kind of beholden to just cause it would be like kind of fun and weird is 
a single movie that is combining the first two books because I would love to have okay. like part one and part two of part one being Ged's coming of age. And I'd have to condense some of um, A Wizard of Earthsea for sure. Yeah. But I think like focusing on his schooling, his shadow fight, and then his ultimate, you know, decision to like rein in his power and work for the greater balance. Yeah. Um, I think that could be part one. And then I, I think it could be kind of cool to, you know, mid movie, it just switches over to the tombs <laughs> and we're with Tanar. We're in this and, movie now. <laughs> right. But then at, then they come together at the end. So I think there, it could be enough uniting that it would make sense. It would be like a weird film structure, but I like that idea more than weaving their stories together throughout mm. the movie. Um, especially because he's older than her and they have very different formative experiences. And I, th- I think I would like it to be animated, uh, Yes, yeah. I'd love like that makes fully hand drawn yeah. animation. Like, do it the old, slow, long, painful, expensive way. Yeah, um, that's something I and, really have always loved about Adventure Time. To throw our episode Adventure Time mm-hmm, note in yeah. there is that it's all hand animated, and it just looks so good. I would love like a Prince of Egypt style Uh, animation. God, what a masterpiece. I think that especially um, the tombs of Atuan done in that style would be just like breathtaking. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. 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 Um, And really play up like the the darkness and the power of it when you're would you make it a musical (laughs) (laughs) i mean if i can get mariah carey to do it (laughs) i mean that's that's like part of what makes prince of egypt so good like the music just fucking slaps like all throughout (laughs) the help is frail it's hard to <laughs> I just always remember the like the juxtaposition of Ramses and Moses' faces when they're like, let my people go. If you ever watched Prince of Egypt in a while, highly recommend. So good. So good. I, it's an incredible movie. Yeah. Truly. <laughs> it's better than most Disney movies. It's, it's very good. And I say this it's as really a person who had a like pretty contentious relationship with Christianity mm-hmm. growing up. I know. Um, yeah. But it's like deep Christianity lore. It's because it's, well, it's Old Testament shit. So and, it's, it's Judeo-Christian mm-hmm. as opposed to being like Christianity. Yeah, there's no Jesus in the Prince of Egypt, nope. thank fucking God. He's, uh, he's not around. You heard it here first. We hate Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because I do ge- generally think that no, Jesus... No, I, I think Jesus was cool. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he was a cool guy. He's basically like a, a communist, like in, <laughs> in the best sense of the he word. He led the working class in, in an, like an ongoing revolt that got twisted along the way, but you know... Exactly, yeah. He took care of sex workers. <sighs> That's why I chose Mary Magdalene as my patron saint in Catholic school because she was like so interesting. And I love that you chose her. I love that we both picked like outsider icons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll let all of you guess who my patron saint was. <laughs> Surprise, it was Joan of Arc. Yes. <laughs> I wanted to do either her or St. Francis of Assisi. And uh, And Joan of Arc. Mom was like, you cannot be a man. (laughs) 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 My already extreme um, way of my, like my, my full on androgynous presentation between the ages of like, eight and 15 was was already contentious in the home and St. Francis was not going to be permitted. But I went into a deep Joan of Arc phase, like reading uh, everything I could find about her and all the like um, fictionalized accounts of her, like young life, young Joan, young Joan is a banger. I remember that book. (laughs) And I, I have to say something that this is kind of gruesome, but something that I really liked about Joan of Arc is that it was very explicit as part of the mythology that she didn't suffer 
um, yeah. when she was burned at the stake because like the yeah. angels took away her pain. Right. She was in a state of ecstasy while she burned. Right. As opposed to like, usually it's just like tied to a wheel and limbs smashed. And- <laughs> right. She didn't get raped. Her breasts weren't torn off. That yeah. was a thing that happened to a lot of yeah. them. Yeah. Um, yeah, the the virgin martyrs and whatnot. Yeah, um, Joan of Arc like had more autonomy, and then even though she mm-hmm. was captured and killed, like it was basically like I'm going to be a super powerful angel now. <laughs> like fuck you. Yeah, I mean, she was <laughs> like absolutely in a state of some sort of psychosis. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. But but you know what? She got out there. <laughs> She took advantage of it. Yeah, yeah, she made it work. When I think about like leaning into my hypomania, yeah, you know, yeah. it's people like Joan that inspire me. <laughs> Not to make light of Joan of Arc's clear mental illness. Or our clear mental illness. Or our clear <laughs> mental illnesses. <laughs> Whenever I say that phrase, I think of my therapist saying, yet yeah, I don't like saying the phrase mental illness, but I am going to say it right now. <laughs> okay, Susan. <laughs> yeah, Susan. <sighs> okay. Um, yeah, so look out for our films once we hear from Ursula's ghost. Um, those will be coming forthwith. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Thanks for supporting me on that. Um, So I think that's everything for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back soon with more Dragon Babies goodness. Um, You can find us on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com, Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast, and Twitter at dragonbabiespod, and on Patreon under Dragon Babies. I have an Instagram as well. (laughs) Pig and Doodles, P-I-G, N-D-O-O-D-L-E-S Art Plants I don't know Angst Check it out (laughs) It's good It's something for everyone I'm Grace And I'm Madeline Until next time Goodbye